Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey there, welcome to The Gems. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Just about everything that we play with in the botanical style aquarium world, leaves, seed pods, bark, stems, has its origin in trees. And trees, of course, yield wood. (laughs) Trees are perhaps one of the most important influences on the dynamic tropical habitats that we're fascinated by, perhaps second only to soils. Now, virtually every time we plant an aquascape, it seems like one of the most major components of the composition is wood. It's been that way in the hobby for years, and it makes sense. Wood adds a sense of color, texture, and depth to any aquascape. It makes or breaks it in many cases, doesn't it? Wood comes from trees, when I last checked, of course. And in the botanical-style aquarium world, wood reigns supreme over rock because many of the habitats we replicate in our tanks tend to have more wood than rocks. And of course, branches and twigs and other tree parts are ubiquitous in the wild aquatic environments of the world. And many of you are absolutely incredible at scaping with wood. Collectively, we've developed extreme talent for creating fantastic designs with all sorts of wood, roots, and twigs. However, there's more to this stuff than just the good looks, right? Of course, there's a functional benefit that is as beautiful, if not more so, than the aesthetics themselves. Let's focus for a bit on the ecological role that tree branches, trunks, and other components of trees play in the wild aquatic ecosystems of the world. Doing this helps us not only context as to how they function, but what impact they have on the overall aquatic habitat. This is an extremely helpful context when we decide to play with wood in our aquariums. In nature, it's not uncommon at all for small and large trees to fall in the rainforest when punishing rain and saturated ground conspire together to easily knock over just about anything that's not firmly rooted. When these trees fall over, they often fall into small streams, or in the case of the Varzea or Agapo environments in the Amazon, the ones that I'm totally obsessed with, they fall and are ultimately submerged in the inundated forest floor when the waters return. And of course, they immediately impact the now aquatic environment, fulfilling several functions. Fallen trees provide a physical barrier or separation from currents, perhaps creating a little dam which accumulates leaves, sediments, and detritus, all important as food sources to a huge number of aquatic organisms. They also provide a substrate for algae and biofilms to multiply on, and providing places for fishes to forage among and hide in. Many fishes, like small cichlids, will reproduce and raise their fry among these fallen tree trunks. An entire community of aquatic life forms uses the fallen tree for many purposes, and the tree trunks, branches, and other parts of the tree will last for many years, fulfilling the important role in aquatic ecosystems that they now reside in each time the waters return. Let's focus on this ecological component for just a bit. Let's review what happens when a tree falls, literally. Now, shortly after falling in the water, fungi and other microorganisms act to colonize the surfaces and biofilms populate the bark and exposed surfaces of the tree. Over time, the tree will impart many of the chemical substances, lignin, humic acids, tannins, sugars, etc., into the waters as bark breaks down and the tree itself softens. In aquatic ecosystems, 
Much of the initial breakdown of botanical materials is conducted by detritivores, specifically fishes, aquatic insects, and invertebrates, which serve to begin the process of uh, a breakdown by feeding upon the tissues of the seed pod or leaf or even the tree itself, while other species utilize the waste products, which are produced during this process for their own nutrition. In these habitats, like streams and flooded forests, a variety of species work in tandem with each other, with various organisms carrying out different stages of the decomposition process. The fallen tree literally brings new life to the waters. I can't stress enough how interesting and important this transformation of the terrestrial environment to the aquatic one is. I talk about it incessantly, I know, but it helps explain why so much of the aquatic habitats look and function the way they do, and how they impact the life forms which make use of them. The materials that comprise the tree are known in, in ecology as allochthonous material, something that's imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. So in other words, a tree that falls from the terrestrial environment into the aquatic one. Extra points, of course, if you can pronounce the word on the first try. We've talked about this stuff forever now, I know. Uh, and of course, in the case of fallen trees, this includes leaves, fruits, and seed pods that fall or are washed into the water along with branches and trunks that topple into the stream. There are stages of breakdown of botanical materials in water, which ecologists have actually identified. Each one of these phases actually plays out in our aquariums as well. And it's just another cool advantage of working with natural materials. We get the same results in, in, or similar results because they're governed by the same processes that are you know, controlling the wild aquatic habitats. Uh, after it's submerged, some of the solutes, which are substances which dissolve in liquids, in this instance sugars, carbohydrates, tannins, etc., uh, some of the solutes in the tree, leaf, seed pod, etc., tissues, are released pretty quickly. Interestingly, this leaching stage is known by science to be more of an artifact of lab work, or in our case, aquarium work, which utilizes dried leaves as opposed to fresh ones, which leach a little bit differently. The second stage of the process is called the conditioning phase, in which microbial colonization on the branch, leaf, or seed pod takes place. They begin to consume some of the tissues of the leaf, and, or the tree, or whatever, at least softening them up a bit and making them more palatable for the aforementioned detritivores. The last phase, fragmentation, is exactly what it sounds like. The physical breakdown of the submerged material by various organisms, ranging from small crustaceans and shrimp to fungi and even, of course, fishes, collectively known as shredders. It's been suggested by some ecologists that microbes might be more important than shredders in tropical streams. These are typically more pronounced processes in softer materials like leaves as opposed to more durable ones like tree trunks and branches, however. Now, the fauna composition differs between habitats, and yet most of the studies I've found will tell you that Chironomidae, which is uh, insect larvae, think about bloodworms, are the most abundant in many streams, pools, flooded forests, and riffles in the initial period of leaf and botanical material breakdown. The botanical material is broken down into various products utilized by a variety of life forms, as we mentioned before. The particles are then distributed downstream by the currents and are available for consumption by a variety of other organisms which comprise aquatic food webs. Now there's six primary breakdown products which are considered in the decomposition process. Bacterial, fungal, and shredder biomass, dissolved organic matter, fine particular organic matter, and inorganic mineralization products like phosphate and so forth. In tropical streams, a lot of the decomposition rate, or actually I should say the high decomposition rate that you'll see, has been related to high fungal activity, which is really interesting. Our friends, the fungi, accomplish quite a bit. 
Now, interestingly, scientists have noted that the leaves of many tropical plant species tend to have higher concentrations of secondary compounds and more recalcitrant compounds than do leaves of temperate species. This is interesting. Although some researchers hypothesized that the high concentration of secondary compounds like tannins in many tropical species actually inhibit leaf breakdown rates in tropical streams, that may be why you see leaf litter beds that last for many years and have become known features in streams and tributaries and rivers because they last physically last longer. Now, these materials are known to ecologists as coarse particulate organic matter, CPOM. And in the waters of these inundated forest floors, there's a lot of CPOM and the community of aquatic organisms, typically the aforementioned aquatic insects and crustaceans, has a high proportion of shredders which feed on the CPOM and break it down into tinier bits called, wait for it, fine particulate organic matter or FBOM. And of course, some fishes like larger kerosins, catfishes, etc., consume fallen fruits and seeds as part of their diet as well, adding to the refinement of the CPOM as well as helping spread undigested seeds throughout the forest floor, ready to sprout when the waters recede, which I find just fascinating. Other organisms make use of the fine particulate matter by filtering it from the water or accessing it in the sediments that result. These alectonous materials support a diverse food chain that's almost entirely based on our old friend, wait for it again, detritus. Yes, that detritus. The stuff of nightmares for many died in the wool hobbyists, the stuff of dreams for many hungry fishes who consume it and for the associated fauna within it as well. It's so incredibly important to aquatic organisms that I can't even begin to stress it enough, even though I talk about it like every day here. And although the forest floor receives substantially less sunlight than open rivers, the nutrients and available light are utilized by algae, which may colonize the surfaces facing up to the sun. And of course, many, many fishes make use of these algal films as a food source. Sensing a theme here? Absolutely. So to summarize it at this point, Fallen submerged trees and their constituent structures, branches, seed pods, leaves, etc., are of enormous importance as a provider, facilitator, and accumulator of food for aquatic organisms. We see similar results in our aquariums, of course, right? Undefended surfaces are colonized by algal patinas and biofilm and fungal growths. These growths may look a bit, you know, unconventional to many hobbyists, but their appearance belies their elegance and their beauty as indispensable components of an aquatic ecosystem. And of course, the tree, like almost anything else that's submerged, will gradually decompose over longer periods of time, many, many years. This process is, of course, actively exploited by the aquatic life forms at all levels. Hollowed out sections will be inhabited by fishes and exploited for shelter that they offer. And of course, the aforementioned crustaceans and insects will utilize the tree and its constituent materials in various ways as well. And as for the fish population, it's long been known by ecologists that fish movement, species richness, diversity, and population density are directly affected by the physical and biological influence of fallen trees. And the deep beds of leaves that may be corralled by fallen trees, a sort of natural dam, play an important role in determining what fishes live in these microhabitats. Deep accumulations of leaves, as we've talked about before, will definitely limit some small fish species which can't tolerate the lower oxygen concentration found in these areas. Yet they attract others which make use of the life forms living in the surface tissues of the leaves. Other fishes take advantage of the physical barrier that a fallen tree presents to shelter from predatory species. Many adaptations have taken place over eons to allow fishes to exploit the changes to their environmental, you know, environmental conditions caused by fallen trees. It's pretty fascinating stuff, all of which is implications for us aquarists who want to replicate natural habitats to the most realistic degree possible. As aquarium hobbyists, what does this all mean to us? How can we employ the lessons learned from fallen trees in nature? What can we do to mimic this? 
Well, for one thing, I think it calls for us to consider employing some bigger, thicker pieces of wood in our tanks. Yeah, I can hear some groans already, and I'm probably groaning too. And by the way, I apologize for the uh, noise here in the background. It's the uh, the classic leaf blower. It's Friday. Uh, it's a day when a lot of people's gardeners come. I'm working from home today, so unfortunately, I'm at the mercy of the neighbors' uh, gardeners. So sorry about that. Anyway. Big heavy wood does have disadvantages in an aquarium. First, the damn things are, well, big and they take up a lot of physical space, and in our case, precious water volume. And they're likely not as sexy as those awful, you know, bonsai trees that are mounted to rocks, which are regrettably becoming more popular again. And of course, a big heavy piece of wood is kind of pricey, and yours truly hates shipping them. And there's a lot of reasons why I don't like them, but there's a lot of reasons to like them. Although wild habitats are filled with big old tree trunks, stumps, and branches, seas just begging to be recreated in aquariums, we tend to hesitate. And after the things I mentioned just, just now, I suppose there's good reason. But there's many scapers who would make the case in point that you can't make a big gnarly pieces of wood work in the aquarium because of their impact on ratio and proportion, etc. You know, the whole artistic part. And to these types, I generally admonish you to check out the works of some very talented scapers who've made that now famous mental shift to work with nature in an artistic interpretation. These pleas and the look what he did sort of arguments are almost a prerequisite of late when I talk about any idea that has an aesthetic component to it, because self-appointed guardians of aquascaping style seem to come out of the woodwork after these discussions, reciting dozens of well-rehearsed reasons why the concept won't work rather than trying to do something similar. It's weird. And of course, to that, I always say, bullshit. Yeah, a big piece of wood or a dense aggregation of smaller pieces in an aquarium does create some challenges, but most of them are in our head. Hell, Takashi Amano himself did some amazing tanks with huge pieces of wood years ago. If you remember, George Farmer and I talked about one in our podcast together a few weeks back. It's cool stuff. And of course, when we utilize a large piece of wood or an aggregation of smaller pieces of wood to make a larger piece of wood, relative to the aquarium's water volume, that is, it does have chemical and physical impact on the aquatic environment that is, hey, sort of similar to what occurs in nature, right? Yeah. Now, on a purely practical level, let's think about the very practices we employ when utilizing wood in our aquariums. It starts with the preparation process. When you first submerge wood, a lot of the dirt from the atmosphere and surrounding environment comes off, along with tannins, lignin, and all sorts of other stuff from the exterior surfaces of all these nooks and crannies that we love so much. And of course, there are the tannins. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm always sadistically amused by the frantic posts on aquascaping forums. You know, when a hobbyist writes in and says, my water is turning brown after I put in this piece of driftwood, when is it going to go away? And I'm like, what's the big idea? Oh yeah, not everybody likes it, I forgot. But, you know, the reality, as you probably surmise, is that driftwood will continue to leach tannins pretty much for as long as it's submerged. As a tinter, I see this as a great advantage in helping establish and maintain a, a blackwater look and to impart the humic substances that have been proven to be very beneficial for the health of most freshwater fishes. It's a unique aesthetic, of course, which I also like. Now, when it comes to preparation, I'm more concerned with those impurities, the trapped dirt and such contained within the wood. As you probably know, that's why I've been a staunch advocate of the overly conservative boil and soak approach to the preparation of botanicals as well. A lot of material gets bound up in the dermal layer of the tree where the wood comes from. The bulk of the dry mass of the xylem, which is the network of the tree which transports water and soluble mineral nutrients from the roots throughout the plant and comprises what we know as wood, is cellulose. Uh, a polysaccharide, and most of the remainder is lignin, which is a sort of complex polymer. Okay, so why the mini botany lesson? 
Well, because when you have just a slight idea of what you're putting into your tank, you'll better understand why it behaves the way it does when it's submerged. And of course, in a given piece of driftwood, there's gonna be some material bound up in these structures and it will be released gradually or otherwise into the water that surrounds it with a big burst probably happening when it initially is submerged. That's why during the first couple of weeks after you submerge wood, that the water often becomes very dark and even cloudy. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's far better, in my opinion, to take the time to start the curing process in a separate container apart from the display aquarium. Although you can't do it in the aquarium, it just takes longer. But if you're not into seeing all that cloudy water and nastiness, you probably want to cure it in a big old bucket or container. This is not rocket science nor some wisdom, you know, only the enlightened aquarists attain. It's a common sense and it's a practice we all need to simply view as necessary with terrestrial materials like wood and botanicals. You may love tannins as much as I do, but trust me, your tank can do without the polysaccharides and the other impurities from the outer layers of the wood. The potential effects on water quality are significant. Now, here's a natural corollary. It's pretty plain to see that at least part of the reason why we see a burst of new algal growth and biofilm and wood recently added to an aquarium is that there's so much stuff bound in it, bound up in it, excuse me. Uh, and algal and fungal spores can literally bloom during the initial period of submersion. It's exactly what happens in the wild aquatic habitats of the world when tree trunks and branches are covered by water. On the other hand, the adventurous aquarist in me can't help but wonder if we should just give the wood a thorough washing and let the whole process play out in the aquarium, like I just mentioned above, to foster this amazing diversity within the aquarium itself. Again, this is an example of setting up an aquarium from the start to replicate both the form and function of nature in all of its beauty and ugliness or whatever you want to call it. Yes, it will look different. Yeah, you'll see a lot more biofilm, fungal growth, detritus, and perhaps, and most likely, slightly hazy water. You'll have to be, you know, careful and you'll monitor the water, the nitrogen cycle and manage the nutrient accumulations with good husbandry, you know, water changes and stuff. Yet think of the interesting results of this incredible patience of curing it in situ. At the very least, just try a large piece of aquatic wood or several smaller pieces aggregated to form a big piece sometime. Try that idea. I think you might find this sort of arrangement quite fascinating to play with, regardless of if you prep it in the display or in a separate container. Arrange the wood in a way as to break up the tank space and give the impression that it simply fell in naturally. You don't have to worry about ratio or golden ratio or any of this stuff. Just let it create barriers for the fishes to swim into, disrupt the water flow pattern, you know, aquascaping stuff. Allow it to cultivate fungal growth and biofilms on its surface and small pockets where leaves, botanicals, substrate materials, and yeah, detritus can collect. Pre-populate the system with food organisms like Daphnia, Gamerus, and bloodworms, stuff like that, a few weeks before you add the fishes. Enjoy the biofilms and select a population of fishes that can exploit the variety of new habitats that the fallen tree creates. One of my favorite fishes for this would be the headstanders. There's a few, uh, Chilotus punctatus, the spotted headstander, one I've kept for uh, quite a while. Uh, and it's not the most attractive fish in the world, but it's cool. It swims at that oblique swimming angle, stays relatively small, I think three to four inches, and it tends to pick biofilm and so forth off of the wood. That's what it does in nature, and that's what it does in the aquarium. A great fish for exploiting this type of habitat in the tank. Think about it. Now, there's many distinct zones created by these sorts of little aggregations of tree trunks and branches, and this is absolutely a perfect utilization for wood. Looking at these materials from a functional perspective, not just, you know, a beautiful arrangement, observing the roles they serve and how they aggregate in nature, then interpreting it for aquariums is the way to go, in my humble opinion. So yeah, trying what might appear to be a big, somewhat awkward piece of wood or a group of wood pieces, filling as much of the tank can be, a, you know, much of the tank can be a big challenge to our aesthetic sensibilities at first. But guess what? You'll get over it when you simply see the setup for what it represents. 
not a typical aquascape. When you populate the tank correctly with fishes that can utilize this interesting ecological niche that's created when you drop in a piece of wood or several pieces of wood, you'll realize that conventional aquascaping is not the only way to do things. Yes, hobbyists have been throwing big old pieces of wood into our tanks for a decade. I'm not launching some revolution here. However, I don't think that we played it out in a manner that was specifically intended to replicate the functional aspect of them. That is, we haven't really thought through the idea that a big gnarly tree trunk in our tank functions not only as an aesthetic component, but more important as an ecosystem, which supports not only an abundance of life, but provides a tremendously interesting study and adaptation and the resourcefulness of nature. Perhaps these aggregations are a freshwater version of a coral reef filled with multiple ecological niches and functions. Oh, and they look cool too. They really do over time. Yeah, the piece is covered a fair amount of time. And I know we've talked about it before. Um, we're, I don't know, 10 minutes into this or more. But the point is, or 20 minutes into this or more, but it's a really good refresher to think about this. And it's interesting to look at multiple aspects of what seems like a straightforward topic. Because we as aquarists need to think beyond just the idea of utilizing wood as a set piece. We need to think of wood as a literal bringer of life in both the natural habitats and in the aquarium. And in another mental shift that we can make, it's really easy, right? I think it's a pretty easy one. Make it. Go for it. So a tree may fall in the forest, and an entire ecosystem will rise as a result. Yeah, an awful lot of good stuff starts happening underneath the water. The, that's the really important thing for us to grasp. Literally, trees are bringers of life above and beneath the waters of the world. So think about that for a while. And stay thoughtful. Stay curious. Stay observant. Stay creative. Stay inspired. And stay creative. <laughs> and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. And I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.